Ezekiel 38. We're just going to read the first 16 verses and then that will we'll, we'll launch off from there and we'll talk about uh, with a focus of Israel and the Middle East and that will be our focus uh, of our message today for the prophecy. Ezekiel 38 verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and the prophecy against him. And say, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around and put hooks into your jaws and lead you out. With all your army, horses and horsemen, all the splendidry and clothes, the great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all its troops, the house of, of Togamah. From the, from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a, a guard for them. After many days you will be visited. In the latter days you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate, and they were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely." You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, and you and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind, and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely and all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates to take plunder and to take booty to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against a people gathered from the nations and who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish and all of the, their young lions will say to you, Have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, and take great plunder? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to God, Thus says the Lord God. On that day when my people Israel dwell safely, you, you will, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land, and it will be in the latter days that I will bring you, bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes." Father, again, as we read your word and we see your word of your truth, how clear it is as we see in our passage today, thus says the Lord God, and when we hear your word and your word spoken, we can trust in that, we hold dear and we open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to hear and to receive what your word has for us this day. Speak to our hearts, Lord, and only the way you can by the power of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Today we see eyes on end times. Our eyes are on the end times, the latter days, days to come. And as we take a look at what is in front of us, we have to remind ourselves so many times, there's this word called certainty or uncertainty. And today, as we look in going into 2018, many people may be sitting here or listening today and say, I am so uncertain of what the future is holding for me. For others may say, oh, I am very certain and I'm very confident of what the Lord has for me. 
But there's a sense of uncertainty and certainty in the hearts of people, and it can change and modify or move based on what your emotions are or what the circumstance that happens of that day. Now, I'm like you, many of us who watch and kind of track what's happening in the news these days can have this sense of really a big uncertainty. If you watch the news, you can see and watch the current events that are happening around us, and we can see the wars and rumors of wars, anything from, the, from Iraq to Afghanistan. And, and many of you, if you've been there once, if not twice, if three times or four times, you've seen it personally. You've lived it. Some we've just watched and seen from a distance. We've seen the tension and mounting in North Korea. We've seen the tension mounting in Iran and Assyria. We've seen the Brexit with the EU and the splitting and the, the changes that are taking place in the, uh, the European Union. We see the UN activities to bring about a one world government, the globalism that seems to be very clear and dominant in the news today of trying to, uh, our country is moving one direction because for the last several years we have been going to that globalism one world government. And you can see the change of course that ha seems to be taking place here in the United States and around certain countries and you can see the fight of not wanting to go back and be a sovereign countries and nations but one Government, And you see these, these fractions, these, these struggles and tensions in the world. You can see what happened when the president said we're moving an embassy just in the, that's already in the country and moving it to Jerusalem, the heart of the world. And you see the uprising that it took place with that. Little Jerusalem. Little Israel, the size of New Jersey, causing world calamity. And you wonder why. Well, we know why. Because we know the word of God. We know that Jerusalem, we know Israel is in the heart of everything that revolves around the political spectrum today. The markets do not like uncertainty. People. You and I do not like uncertainty. So many people would love to know the future. If I only knew what my next assignment was. If I only knew what my next position will be. Oh, if I only knew what my children were going to grow up to be. Oh, all these things that seem to weigh upon us in our day-to-day -day lives. But as Christians, we shouldn't have that uncertainty like non-believers. Because as believers, we're reminded, as we see in our scripture today, should be reminded as Christians that our eyes can see what is happening today in the world in the process as we process it things through from a biblical worldview. So when we see the things in the news, we see the things that are taking place, do we go back to the scripture and say, what does God have to say about this? Or what is his perspective about this? And when we do that, it brings our eyes on the understanding of end times from a biblical view, and it brings certainty to us. Matthew 24, 6 says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars and see that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So when we sit here, oh, oh my, oh my, look at these wars and all things going on. Well, you and I shouldn't be troubled by that. Because it, God said in his word that these things will come to pass. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word by, will by no means pass away. So in light of God's word, God's prophecy, we can view what is going on geopolitically. We can see what economically why things are playing out their way. Socially, spiritually, we have certainty based on the word of God. We know our foundation is sure. Even if it hasn't played out yet, we know what the story's like. See, we love listening to stories, don't we? <coughs> if you're a book reader, you love reading the book. If you watch a movie, you love watching the story because some of you get really emotional in the story. 
You start reading the book and you're getting into it and you have these really highs and the really lows that are going on in the story. And some of you can't handle the uncertainty of the story. So what do you do? You go to the end of the book to read what happens. And then what happens is you come back and you start reading. You have a whole other level of peace about the story because you already know the outcome. So even with the highs and the lows and the uncertainty during the story, it doesn't bother you because, oh, oh, that's right. He's going she's, she's gonna to get the gal anyway. Oh, he's going to survive. You know, you already know because you now have an end of the story so you can now have a sense of peace going through the story that you didn't have if you didn't know the end of the story. Well, that is what prophecy is, is it not? We know the end of the story. So why should we have, get on the emotional roller coaster like those who don't know the end of the story because they don't know the word of God? Why would we be, have uncertainty? Because God has given us everything that we need for life. Everything we need for this life. He has given us the end of the story and bits and pieces through that. And we'll see today he gives us clarity of what is going to take place. See, there's a lot of battles. We see many battles in the Old Testament. We see battles in the New Testament. Today, we're going to see a battle. It is not the battle of Armageddon because that is the most popular. Even in the world today, they make movies about the, the end times, the, the Armageddon, and you'll read books on the Armageddon. And these are, these are secular people. These are non-religious people writing these books because that is a famous battle. But this is not the battle that we're talking about. Matter of fact, in the scripture, Armageddon is only a, a, just a blip. It's just a few verses. It's no big deal, actually, compared to this one, which takes up a couple of chapters, this is a big one, and we'll see from a timetable perspective, it's very big from a prophecy perspective or end times view of what's going to take place in the story, right? So as we take a look at this, we have to remember that God is sovereign. He is unfolding his design, his story, right? History, his story. He's unfolding his story. It started in Genesis 1. And will ends when he creates the new heaven and earth. So we, what takes place during those things? God is given the clarity of what that is going to be taking place in between. So we have nothing to fear. We get to watch and see and partake in this process of, of what God has for us. So in light of prophecy, in light of the end times of human history, human history is not some randomly played out story but it's God's sovereignty in control. So we're not living here some random life like what is going to happen? I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. It's, what's the temperature? Negative 21 today. Oh, the, the world's coming to an end. No, no, let me read that. I, I can tell you the end of the story. That's not true. So when you thought that this morning, when you woke up to negative 21 and said, I'm getting in a cold. No, the world's not ending today. I'm sorry. Now, we all pray that God might come back and take us home and rapture us home today. Yes, I agree with you on that. But the world is not ending because it's negative 21 today here in Watertown, New York. Because we know the story. He's not done yet. But we'll see here the fact that prophecy or that history timetable, before we even examine and get into the details verse by verse, we should review the prophetic situation or prophetic timetable prior to this invasion in the Holy Land. And now I might have a view and a stance that you may conflict with yours. And that's okay. You can take your positions however you think your timetable is. But I'm just going to roll it out. I believe what the Lord has put in my heart and what the scriptures show to support that. And I'd love having any conversation with you if that's something different that you come. Because we know many people who come here come from many backgrounds and many teachings and haven't even heard an end times teaching or prophecy teaching in their entire time as a Christian. I understand that. That's fine. But we're love to have those conversations but follow along here come with us here and be open to listen but the next crisis of event on the god's prophetic calendar i believe is the rapture of the church i believe if you look at the scriptures as a whole the next prophetic thing that will take place is god is going to come back 
in the air, and he's going to take you and I, the church body, the born-again believers, and we're going to be raptured, or in a twinkling, twinkling of an eye, we're going to be snatched up into his presence, and we'll be in heaven with him. And you can go back and read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But he will come back for his bride. The bridegroom will come back to his, for his bride because he is not going to take his bride and put him under the judgment he's going to bring on this world. He's not going to do that to his bride. A bridegroom would not do that to his bride. And so that's why we believe it, that's the next thing in the calendar. This following that rapture will usher in the seven-year tribulation according to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. And that is the nation of Israel will make an agreement with the head of a ten-nation European coalition to protect them, and they're going to make this agreement. Can you imagine the rapture? Can you imagine the United States and many believers around the world are taken out in the chaos and the confusions and someone God is going to allow as he takes his church out is going to make room for the Antichrist, this leader of this 10 nation, European nation, will form and say, hey, I'm here, I'll step into the scene and the power of his words will bring unity for this around the world and and will convince Israel if you will sign this peace treaty will you sign and we'll all agree to work together between the muslims and the christians and the and the jews we'll allow you to build your temple and we'll allow you to have your dome up there and, there, and everyone will have peace trust me and i believe that will be the start of the seven-year period of tribulation we don't know how much time elapsed between the rapture of the church and the signing of this covenant with this leader, a European leader, but it starts that seven-year period of tribulation. You can go back to read Matthew 24, verses 1 through 28 in Revelations, and you can read chapter 6 through 19. But we do know that after 3.5 years, this European leader will emerge as that Antichrist, or the scripture referred to as the beast, and he will break that covenant with Israel, and he will set up his own image in the newly built Jewish temple. And that's when the Jews realize they've been deceived, and they start running for the hills because they, he will demand that he be worshipped as God. And the Jews' eyes will open up, Hello. <laughs> well, that temple was really important to us. <laughs> now we're in trouble. Uh, and so it, then it ushers in that last three and a half years of that seven years will be where God will then bring down judgment. The wrath of God will come down during the remaining of that three and a half years. After that seven years, Jesus comes back on his second coming with you and I, the church, coming back on horses, and he will put his feet on this earth, and he will then reign for a thousand years. After that thousand-year thousand reign, or the millennium reign, then he will then event, eventually will create the new heaven and earth. So, with that timetable, very broad, many things happening in between. It gives you a perspective of, of what's taking place. You and I, as believers, as children of God, we must then say, remember, God warned us to say, to keep a watch, keep your eyes looking up, because I draw near to you. Matthew 25, 1 says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be like the ten virgins who took their lamps, went out to meet the bridegroom. So like the parable of the ten virgins, be ready, the bridegroom is coming for his bride. You remember, they're all waiting for that bridegroom. Some had their oil ready to go, some did not. But they were needing to be ready because if you weren't ready, you weren't going to go in. And I, my prayer is for each and every one of you that you're not playing church, you're not playing religion, you're not playing off of your parents' relationship with Jesus or your grandparents' relationship or your spouse' relationship or whatever relationship you're holding on to and think you have the assurity of being born again and will be raptured with the rest of the church in a twinkling of an eye. I pray it's because of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and no other relationship. Because if you bet the fact that you're part of Calvary Chapel and that's why you're going to heaven, let me tell you that is not going to help you. 
And just because your grandparents and legacy of generation upon generation of loving Jesus and literally you know they just love the Lord personally doesn't save you. And yes, I know some of you were raised in a Christian family. Praise Jesus that you were. And you were given that beautiful little nook-nook and put in your mouth with a little cross at the end and said, Oh, I'm dedicating my children to you, Lord. But they have to make that personal decision for Jesus. You cannot do it for them, mothers. So if you have not made a personal decision to surrender your life to Jesus Christ as not only your Savior, but as your master of your life, I pray today's the day of salvation for you. Because you want that certainty before you leave this day. Do not have an uncertainty. Because one of the people always say, how do you know, Pastor? If I'm not sure if I'm saved or not. How do I know? How do I know? Just by asking the question, I don't know if I tells me you're not. Because once you're born again, there's no question in your mind that you're born again, that you've been saved. Because I know the before and after picture of my life. I've watched over the years upon years of people from the before and after. I is no question that you have a personal relationship with Jesus and that you're growing in a deeper relationship with him. So if there's any uncertainty in your mind, today's the day of your salvation. Surrender your life to Jesus before it's too late. See, Matthew 24, 44, therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You don't have a promise of walking out this door, getting in a car that you've done for years upon years and think you're going to survive from here to home. If you think that, you're fooling yourself. Matthew 25, 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. We do not know the day or the hour of Jesus' return, but we are to recognize the times and the seasons when we will see him. See, so many, yeah, there's some good brothers and brothers out there who have a tendency to think they can declare the specific date that Jesus is going to rapture the church. And if you hear a specific date, you know that's a false teacher and you are not to listen to that person any longer. We've seen it so many times. Oh, these good brothers have been around for 30, 40 years declaring day after day after day. They come and they go. You know, Y2K, some of you weren't even born in Y2K, but some of you can never remember Y2K. They all thought that was going to be the year. It came and went. Then 2001, oh, after the Twin Towers, it's only, it came and went. But if you know, if someone says a date, no touching. Because they're going clearly against the word of God if they do. Because the scripture tells us no one knows the day or the hour. Amen? First Thessalonians, or for a first, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1, 2. Be concerning the times and the seasons, brethren. You have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. So when God raptures out, it'll be like a thief in the night. It's going to happen. You weren't going to be, you'll be shocked. You'll be a surprise. It's going to just happen. There is not going to be a moment where, oh, the clouds are starting to swirl here. It's like that Cosmo, the movie I watch. No, no, it'll be like a twinkling of an eye. It will happen. So how can we know when the times and the seasons are approaching of Jesus' return for the church? Well, prophecy, his story in advance plays that out and helps us to anchor our steps or anchor our minds and give and by God to understand that he is in control of human history. And as he plays this out, we just know day by day we please him, we serve him, we focus on him, we look for him, we keep our eyes looking in anticipation of his return. 
And when you know the end of the story and you know how things are playing out, we just take note of what's happening. And so today in the pro- we see this prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet who not only witnessed violent times as he saw the Babylonians swoop in into the Holy Land and take the Jewish people back to Babylon. And we see that around 586 B.C. time frame. And we see them swooping them out. Now imagine and keep it in context of our story today. Here's the Jewish people. They've come in. God has allowed the Babylonians to come in. Nebuchadnezzar, led by Nebuchadnezzar, to come in, swoop them up, and take them out into bondage. Here they are in Babylon, and here's the Jewish people saying, we are never going to be going home again. What is going to happen to us? What about our family and our history? And We're no longer we're spread out all around the world now. What hope do we have? What uncertainty do we have here? There's no hope for life. What is going to happen to us as, a, as the Jews? Well, we know when it's here in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel God used to bring about the prophecy. And Ezekiel 36 and 37 speaks of the rebirthing and the establishing of Israel nationally. So God gave the, his, this man he used, the prophet Ezekiel, to tell the people... Hey, I'm telling you, in the future, God is going to bring you back together as a nation. Are you kidding me? But God did. God used his prophet to speak the truth of what was going to happen in the future. Prophecy, future in advance. In verses, in chapters, um, uh, in Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48, God speaks to Ezekiel and speaks of the rebirth spiritually. So in between these chapters 36 and 37, the rebirth of nationally of Israel and the spiritual birth that God is going, the rebuilding and, and bringing the nation together and bringing the people, his people to him personally, those, the chapters 38 and 39 that we'll see today talks about this battle that's going to take place that is going to be God bringing judgment upon those who come against his people. And this is this is invasion against Israel in the Middle East. And we will see that. So today we're going to look at geopolitical conditions of the world. Our eyes on end times, and if we look at the geopolitical condition of the world as Jesus' return approaches for his bride, the church, and he raptures us out of here, especially looking at Israel, especially looking at the Middle East, Keep this in context as the Jews had no hope. They were going, they were going and, and being dispersed around the world. They were no longer had an identity from a national perspective there in the presence where they're at. Even Jeremiah had written to them that they would be in Babylon for how many years? Seventy years, did they not? And that God's thoughts toward them were of peace and not of evil, Jeremiah 29.10. So here God used one of his prophets, Jeremiah, saying, wait, 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 wait. You're only going to be in Babylon for 70 years. Then we're going to bring you back. I only have nothing but peace and all and nothing, not evil against you. So there's God speaking through his prophet, his spokesperson, telling his people, you hold on to this for your hope. Then God brings Ezekiel, another man's God, or God's man, to speak the truth. And what happens in Ezekiel? He prophesied that they would be a nation again in chapters 36 and 37. And they would gather back into their land as a nation again. So here is something you need to take note if you didn't know this. The greatest event, I believe, in the scripture is right here in this chapter. That the greatest event, prophecy event, took place 2,600 years ahead of schedule. Or, or uh, prophesied ahead of the date that we know specifically of our time frame. You know what that date is? May 14, 1948. So here's Ezekiel saying, you are going to be coming back and being formed as a nation once again. I'm going to bring you back into the land that I promised Abram back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and said, this is your land, people. That You're my people, and this is your land. 
Yes, you're going to go to Babylon for 70 years, but I am eventually going to bring you back to the land that I promised. And 2,600 years later, it took place on May 14, 1948, when Israel became a nation again. No other ever any people has ever had an identity, a national identity, ethnic identity, been dispersed for 2,600 years, spread throughout of the known world, and then brought back and never lost their Jewish identity, their national origin, and who they are. No one else. You talk to any Jew who lives in the United States, they are Jewish. You talk to those who are trapped in Russia and can't get out, they're Jewish. Today, more Jews live in Israel than ever before because God said he was going to bring his people back to the land, and he's been doing it. So the greatest event took place 2,600 years after Ezekiel said that God gave him the words and said, tell my people and promise them I have not let them go. They're going to be coming back as a nation once again. And it did. This is the end of this. This is the story, right? We know the story. We are sitting here living in the times of God's telling us. Some of us were here May 14th, right? 1948. It's not that far-fetched here. We're, we're, many people lived within this time. Never before in the human history has this taken place. So geopolitical environment is amazing what took place. But here in our scriptures today, we're going to see something very quickly as we go through this. We're going to see what takes place in this invasion. First of all, there's going to be this leader, this ruler named Gog. This ruler, Gog, is a head of a, a land or a place called Magog, and we know that of as today, it is Russia. And we see in the scriptures here, also in verse 15, it's north of Israel. And we know, if you look at the map, all of the north part of, uh, of, that, uh, of, of, uh, of Israel is Russia that dominates. And we know the scripture because the prince of Rosh, the Meshech, and Tubal, we know by that those names, those ancient names, brings us back into the same country and surrounding area of Russia. And so we're going to see... During this battle, this Magog or this ruler, it's the same thing as like a, a Gog being president or czar or, uh, or pharaoh. It's a title of this leader who oversees this Magog or Russia during this period of time. Now the nation will be a major military power. We see that in our scripture today, which is true today for Russia. But remember... No generation has seen in the past a nation like Russia when it comes to their belief if there's a God or not. Russia is the only nation that is atheism from its core. They believe in no God. And some of you will, well, I, know, think, think, I can think of a lot of other nations that don't believe in God. No, no, no. They're polytheism. They believe in multiple gods. But Russia believes in no God. Atheism is a difference. If you remember the scriptures, God wrote in Exodus 20 verse 3 and 20 verse 4, he gave two great commandments during that time. God did not command uh, against atheism, he, but he said he did not, uh, he gave two, um, uh, two uh, t of, the, of the Ten Commandments. You shall not have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the... See, God said there was polytheism that was spreading around that at that time. But it wasn't until about the time of David that we start seeing atheism starting to creep in around society. We can see that in Psalm 14.1. We read, The fool who has said in his heart there is no God, that is when we started seeing atheism starting to, uh, to creep into society. But Russia believes in no God. Russia has a long history of anti-Semitism. They have been persecuting the Jews ever since the beginning. 
They are now not even allowing the Jews to get out of Russia. They keep them in bondage within Russia. Even though they may want to choose to leave to go back to the Middle East. So this long history of army, uh, um, arming Israel's enemies is also very proven. The war of 1967. The war of 1973. Remember that war of Syria and Jordan and Egypt invading uh, Israel? Guess who supplied all of the arms to, for those countries to come against Israel? Russia. Still today, Russia continues to arm Israel's enemies in the region. Look at Syria. Who runs Syria? Who's got Assad, uh, Assad in, his, in, their, in, their, in their hands telling Assad like a puppet what to do in Syria? They have allowed them to have access and bases in right there in Syria, right on the borders close to, uh, to Israel. Look at Iran. Look at the influence that Russia has over Iran. So the question is, why would Russia be even involved? Because God says in our scripture today, what is he going to do? He's going to put a hook in their jaw and is going to bring them down into the region and is going to use them as a beautiful poster child of the power and the sovereignty of God. It's going to be amazing. But in verse 3, you notice God speaks up and has a saying about all of this invasion. God gave the land to Israel to the Jews as part of the Abrahamic covenant. Again, back to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and you bless those who bless you, and I will curse though curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed so the question is and should not be a question in your minds who owns the property that israel sits in today or the jews sit in today in israel god owns it he gave it to the jewish people there should not be a question in anybody's minds if you know the scripture so as a believers, as Christians, if you sit there and say, oh, the Jews should really be giving up their land. They should be splitting their land up and giving it to the, like the rest of the world speaks. You, have not, you don't know your scripture. So God says to you right here, those who bless Israel, the blesses his people, will be blessed. If you go against God's people, you will be cursed. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on the wrong side of God. You will always lose. There's not a question there, okay? So I think I can get him to this time. You know, I'm really feeling pretty good. You know, no, you're going to lose, and it's going to hurt. <laughs> it's going to hurt because you're going to find out right now one of the greatest assembling of armies is coming to invade Israel, and we see it in the scriptures. And God is going to wipe them out with not a problem. Watch it. We're going to continue here. It's really cool. So as we see this. The Jewish people own their land. Now, I'll take a step back here. As a Christian, a Christian life is very similar to our story today. We enter God's family by trusting in Jesus Christ by faith alone. It's by faith. But we enjoy God's family and that relationship by believing in his promises and obeying his word. That's where blessing comes. By believing and obeying his promises in the word. But when you are disobedient to God's word, you do things that displease God, then God, as ch God's children, they, we have to be chastened. We see that in Hebrews 12. And God often had to chasten the people of Israel because of their rebellion and disobedience. So it's very important. All we wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I have lo love you and I thank you for this day. What can I do to please you? I just want to worship you and please you and just do whatever you ask me to do. And you will be blessed. See, the act of war against Israel is going to, as we see in the scripture, is going to be a judgment by God on Gog and Magog. 
He's going to judge them and their allies that we see in the scripture. Who are they? Verses 5 and 6. We see, obviously, Magog, Russia, from the far north is going to come down. But we see, like everything else, the enemy loves to surround Israel and give every possibility away from them to be escaped. So what happens? Persia, we know today is uh, modern-day Iran. It's going to come from the east. The south, Ethiopia, or Cush, is also part of the Sudan, the southern Egypt, the northern Ethiopia area. They're going to come from the south. It's going to come up against Israel. That's another army. And then the west, Libya, or Put, is going to come from the west side. And they will advance against Israel, as we see in verse 9, like a cloud that covers land. Can you imagine the air power from Russia and everyone just coming like a cloud over to ready to destroy Israel? Can you picture it? Absolutely. Back in these days, they, they, God used words and gave Ezekiel words that they could understand. But we today, we can understand even clearer picture, can't we? What the clouds would be like. We see the army stories, right? We see the Air, air Force, you know, power, air power, man, it's coming. And Russia is a very powerful. And the Iran has resources. They've supplied the African uh, Peninsula. They have, they're surrounded. But think about this. Persia, Iran, they've been in the news. Even our country gave them multi-millions of dollars to supply them. It's insanity what you think about what took place over the last few years to prepare for this time. Orchestrating today, working with Russia out of Syria. Think of the Ethiopia, the Sudan area, because Iran is all Islamic. There's no question, they're Islamic. You look at Ethiopia, or the northern part of the Sudan and those areas, they were split in 2011, they were split in the north and south. The south separated from them. The northern part is just nothing but Islamic. The southern part of Sudan is the Christians and the Yemenis. Then you see Libya, who are put, when Omar Gaddafi was taken out, there's no even no central government any longer now. It's just a war zone of Islamic militants all running there. They're going to form and they're going to be part of this, 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 this way that Russia says, let's go, and they're just going to be part of it. Gomer, the Eastern Europe, Germany, is going to be part of this. It's going to come against Israel. Togoma, this is the uh, ancient name for uh, Turkey. These are Islamic nations. Look what happened in UN when the U.S. said we're going to move our embassy. Who was the one, was the number one person speaking against that and was rallying all the Islamic countries together to come against the United States? Who was it? Egron, the guy who's running Turkey today. There is an Islamic country with a secular government, but that government changed from secular and will be more Islamic because the leader now is more Islamic and it's very clear as can be. So yes, we may have a base there. We think that's an ally. We're fooling ourselves if you think that's an ally because it is not because the scripture says they're going to come against Israel. Remember, all of these countries that, Jesus, that God said here in our scriptures that it's going to unite these four armies coming from the north, south, east, west, they have one thing in common. What is that? The religion of Islam. And they're all with a focus and determination to wipe out Israel. Clear as can be for us today. It was spoken of 2,600 years ago. And we're living it and watching it day by day in the news. Even the Iran radical Islamic leaders of the country believe that their 12th imam is coming back and will be ushered in and will be their messiah if they just have this caliphate, this religious uprising, and this will help usher in the 12th imam. But also notice the nations that are not taking part of the invasion. We see in the scripture in verse 13, Sheba. Remember Queen Sheba? Came coming from Saudi Arabia area. They're going to speak up and say, oh, how dare you? How could you? What are you doing? 
Are you really going to go in there and take out, try to take out Israel? But they're not going to let the finger to go in there to do it themselves. But they're also not going to stop it. We see Dedan, which is northern Yemen or the African Peninsula. You'll see people rising. Are right, what are you doing? Are right, you should you? But they're not going to be part of it. They don't attack. Merchants of Tarshish, the descendants of Jabin, we see in Genesis chapter 10. These people who settled in Greece and in the Western Europe, England area, you're going to hear them say, What are you doing? You can't come against Israel. But we don't see anyone in the Western Europe, or Europe, Britain, any of them, raising up to stop them. Why? No mention of Egypt. These were known enemies, but they have a peace treaty with them today. Remember, after the big wars, they have a peace treaty. Jordan, they hated Israel, but they're not now. Why? Because they have a peace treaty. No mention of Syria. Why is that? It's a very active hotbed right now. We even know in Isaiah 17.1, Damascus is going to be leveled. It says, behold, Damascus will cease from being a city and it will be a ruinous heap. No one will even be able to live in Damascus. When will that happen? Maybe that's part of what we're going to be seeing here. Why isn't Syria part of one of the countries? Maybe it's because Israel... Dropped, dropped a little present on Damascus and made it a heap like the scripture says it was going to happen. Maybe they are just in that civil war so bad that they don't have the resources to actually mount up. They're just a launching pad for Russia and Iran and others to do it. Today we see a geopolitical description here in chapters 38 and 39. But as surely as the nation of Israel was rebirthed in 1948, surely this battle will take place sometime between the rapture and Jesus' second coming. This attack will be another means of God's display to the nations, his holy character and sovereign power over his people. It will be as clear as, and he will use that as a poster child to the whole world and including the Israel, uh, Jewish people that God is alive and in control. It's very clear in our scriptures today. The decision made in the war room of Magog will be conformed to the will of the Lord who planned this invasion for his own purposes. You can picture these guys and gals in the war room up in Russia and Magog all strategizing and all these things going on, thinking they're in control. But God does not violate their own free freedom to think and decide. But he will overrule God's decisions for his, God's own purposes, just as he did with Babylon. And we can go back, and if you want to read that today, in chapter 21, verses 18, uh, uh, chapter, verses 18 through 24. And I'll give you two scriptures why this is so true. That people can come up with their own ideas and thoughts and evil intentions and all even good intentions. But as a world leader, God is in control of every world leader. And we see that in the uh, two verses I will give to you today. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast in the, into the lap, but its, dis, but its very decision is from the Lord. Let's roll the dice, man. Ooh. Oh, God controlled those dice. Oh, pick a straw, any straw. We'll see who's... But God is in control of those leaders. We also see in Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. So here we are, God, the leader of Magog. we got the communication with these other armies surrounding him. They think they've got this perfect plan and strategy and power no one's going to stop us and God is sitting there going sure go ahead and plan and watch me move you like the waters in the direction I need you to go so do you fear the leaders of nations who come against us or Israel absolutely not 
If you're a child of God, do you fear the enemy? If God is for you, who can be against you? But do you know the opposite is true of that as well? If, if you are against God, who can stop him? If God is against you, who can stop him? And here's his righteous anger, as we see in our scripture, is being raised up by God and saying, you're coming against my people, I, my righteous anger, I'm going to bring judgment upon you. And we see this here in verses seven, uh, 9 through 12. We'll start seeing here of the different things that are going to take place here. God's uh, attack will be crushed by God himself, we see in the scriptures. He's going to come in. He's going to start wiping these people out. And it's surely in the day there shall be a great earthquake. He literally is going to shake the land so much. We see in the scripture that all men in the entire world is going to feel that earthquake. That's power. How are you going to deal with that shake, rattle and roll? So people will say, well, I wasn't watching the news. I didn't know what was going on in Israel. If, if you're not a believer, if you're a non-believer and you're still here, you're going to feel that shake. You're going to know something is taking place. We see the fact that, the verse 20, the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field, all creeping things and the creeping of the earth, all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. We're going to see that after that earthquake, you're going to see the after effects. Verse 22, pestilence, bloodshed God is going to bring. He's going to rain down on his, these troops and on many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, brimstone. All of this is God's natural disaster is just going to come down upon these armies and wipe them out. There's no indication here in the scripture that the Israel army had to raise up and fight against this army doesn't say anything in there does god do the work all the work did he use the army at all i don't know but i can tell you right now when you start shaking the entire globe and you start bringing things from above that you everyone's going to be taking cover everyone all these armies who are out there in the middle of this valley, thinking they're in control, God is going to bring down judgment, clear as can be. And look at verse 23. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and then they shall know that I am the There's not a question here in your mind, I hope. God said it, it will happen. There's not a question. If you question it, ask yourself, God, why do I question your word? You're my Lord, you're my master. You know all things, you're, you see all things. You're all powerful. That I know because I know you personally. Why would I not believe your own word? Well, I would ask the question, are you a child of God? Are you born again? And if you're not, today is the day of your salvation. Repent of your sins. Ask God for forgiveness. And he said he will personally come in to your body and seal you for eternity and you will be a child of his and he will open your eyes and your heart to hear and to receive his truth do not fight the holy spirit god himself who knocks at the door of your heart and says let me in don't don't make that choice today to not let him L make the choice to let him into your life and watch how beautiful of a life because now you will have a life because apart from Jesus personal relationship with Jesus you have no life apart from him there is no other way I hope you hear that 
God is speaking to your hearts of that truth. Yes, you can go on into last, at the end of, of obviously 38 into 39 and you can see what takes place after the battle. But let me make note here in ch- chapter 39 verses 1 through 8. Not only does he wipe out those armies, but he says, oh no, I'm actually going to go back as I said, and I am going to even take care of those who sent them. The nation who sent the army. And you see that verses 1 through 11, where God is going to come in. And with the coastlands, uh, reference of the coastlands, I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in safety in the coastlands, referring the outer edges of where these people came from, he says, I am actually going to bring judgment on those nations as well. No one is going to escape. Oh, it's the army's fault. No, it's the nations who even sent them. And the birds of the prey, the beasts will go in and devour and I will send fire on them. I will destroy them. And they surely know that verse 8 of chapter 39, surely it is coming and it shall be done, says the Lord God. And then we continue to see in verse 9, then they take and set fire and burn all the weapons. Imagine all these natural disasters and all the planes and the missiles and the bombs and all that. Israel takes those and God says, take this and you're going to use that as energy to run your nation there in Israel. And then we see it takes them seven months with professional people, the scripture says, to bury all the bodies just uh, next to the, the, the Dead Sea. It's going to take them seven months with professionals, meaning was there a fallout with nuclear fallout and stuff? So there's going to be special handling of these bodies and stuff. I don't know, but all I know is professionals. It wasn't like the, the Jewish people said, okay, everybody, let's go find a body and bury it. It was professionals out there for seven months burying thousands upon thousands of bodies. And then he will use all this weaponry. See, the scripture talks about bows and arrows and stuff. It ain't going to burn for seven years. So we know by, from common knowledge today, those weaponry, they can burn because of the, the fuels and everything else that the modern technology has with, uh, with the, the resources and energy. So why would, initially, why would Russia even think about coming against Israel? Oil. Minerals from the, the Dead Sea, which is our, the greatest deposit of multiple credible minerals coming from the Dead Sea. And the warm water gateway for bringing oil in and out of the Mediterranean Sea. Three things. We see it today. It's clear. It's part of their agendas. You can see it on websites, all their agendas and what they're trying to do. Clear as can be. But they don't understand that God is taking their evil ways of coming against Israel to take control of all those resources and plunder them, as the scripture says. And God says, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm going to put a hook in you, and I'm going to use you to bring in the end times. It's coming, people. So the scripture warns us, do not be afraid. Do not wonder what it's going to be like in the future for us. Keep your eyes looking up because he's coming back for his bride, you and I, the church, those born-again believers, and it's going to take us home out of this area when he starts bringing change to this world through the seven-year tribulation period. That should bring great joy for you as a, as a child of God because you know the story. There's not a question what the story is. We just don't know the day and time, but we don't have to know the day and time. We just know that our loving God is coming back for us because he's the bridegroom, we're the bride. He's going to take good care of us, and we're out of here. Amen? Father, we again thank you and praise you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for 
giving us the story, the, the giving us something that was told 2,600 years ago, what would we actually see playing out today in our news cycle? We're waiting in anticipation, Lord, you coming back for us. We're so excited. It's soon and very soon as we here at Calvary Chapel North Country has been singing this from the very beginning of this body starting here, Lord. We've been singing soon and very soon ever since because we know with anticipation that you're taking us home to be with you in heaven. We are so, so excited. But we praise you, we honor you, we glorify you this day. And it's in your precious name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen, amen, amen.